Hello and welcome to 21st Century Vitalism. This here is a podcast exploring how we can best maintain a sense of energy, inspiration, and wakefulness while dealing with the unique stressors of this strange and potent time. My name's Brett. I'm going to be your host on this journey. And joining us on the show today is Mary Bond, a lifelong movement enthusiast who studied under the legendary Dr. Ida Rolf. Having spent decades as a structural integrationist, Mary has gone on to write some of the most influential books that I've come across on movement, perception, and presence. In this episode, we're going to be focusing on her most recent work, The Body Mandala, and how connecting more fully to our posture, sensations, movements, and expressions can increase what's known as our somatic presence. It's a very powerful approach to embodiment, and due to the nature of this topic, this conversation has a bit of a transmissional quality to it, and that it also includes a guided meditation for you to directly experience what it is that she's pointing to. It's really quite incredible and a huge honor to have her on the show. She is somebody that I've had in mind since I started the show. So if you are inspired by this episode as I am and have been, consider checking out her books, uh, her online courses, and her other talks. And you can find her over at HealYourPosture.com. I highly encourage checking out The Body Mandala in particular. It is something I've been going through for this entire year and is just so powerful and immediate and genuinely transformational. So if you want to support this show, consider signing up for the Patreon over at patreon.com slash 21st Century Vitalism. If you don't have the excess funds for that, a simple subscribe, follow, or like on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook will do just fine. Apple reviews are also supremely helpful as well, so whatever you can do to help out, I see you and I appreciate you very much. Without further ado, please kick back, drink some tea, do some stretches, and open your heart for Mary Bond. are now live so i'm just going to open this up by saying thank you so much for coming on the show uh i didn't say this in the emails but when i first started the show you were actually one of the first 10 people i had in mind uh, because (laughs) your work really encapsulates so many of the themes of this show uh just a brief primer on how i came across your work Mm -hmm. Uh, i am a massage therapist i graduated in 2020 And soon after I got my licensure, I was just exploring a bunch of different, um, different practitioners, different modalities. And I stumbled across, uh, your prior book, uh, the new rules of posture. And I was like, this sounds interesting. And I got it and it was so mind blowing. It, it, uh, right out of graduation, I, it, it turned me in a completely different direction and really uh, revolutionized the way that I look at my body and perception and the integration of the two. Um, and then I found out you have a second book, which is going to be the topic of today. <laughs> Third book, sorry. Um, but The Body Mandala. And I got that. And again, I'm having the same experience of just every chapter, every exercise. There's something about it that it just changes your perception in a way that it's like, oh, now I can't go back to that old way of seeing things. Yeah, it's beautiful. So, it's very pleasurable for me to hear that because <laughs> yeah, that, that's my yeah. intent, really, yeah. writing. It's, it's very potent. It's very powerful stuff. And the fact that you equip the reader to really have their own experience of it, very immediate, is just, it's kind of intense. <laughs> So I wanted to open this conversation, but just hearing a brief story about how you got into this work, how you got into structural integration, and ultimately mm-hmm. how you created multiple methodologies for deepening people's uh, awareness of their bodies. It's, it's amazing stuff. Okay. Well, um, I was a student of dance. I was getting a master's degree in choreography at UCLA without, you know, terrific talent or drive either, you know. So what am I going to (laughs) do with the rest of my life? Um, But I ran into Dr. Ida Rolf, who was the founder of structural integration, the creation of that particular uh, manual therapy methodology. 
And she blew my mind, you know, because she started, she was talking about gravity as an organizing factor, not just for the body, but for human beings. That if human beings could be well-oriented with respect to this force, they would not only be more upright and more mobile and more graceful, but they would also be um, hopefully (laughs) more generous and more open and more receptive and all that good stuff. Um, It hasn't quite come to pass yet. You know, (laughs) maybe we haven't rolfed enough people. (laughs) But anyway, her message is still my bottom line, you know, that there is this capacity to be aligned with this organizing force, and it does make a difference. So um, I began to study with her. I didn't particularly want to learn how to do manual therapy, but um, I was interested in movement, and I was interested in seeing patterns in people's bodies. And that was music to her ears because she had a hard time getting people to see what she was seeing, you know. And so that's been my real interest is in the movement education aspect of this work. Um, Although I did work for many, many years as a manual therapist too. Um, So along the way somewhere I got the idea that I could write about this, that somehow I could put Dr. Rolf's message into um, language and, um, I don't know, that I could somehow present it for the ordinary person who maybe never heard of structural integration or Ida Rolf and maybe never would, you know. So I start, and my first one was called The Gravity Game. And, you know, it, it didn't go anywhere because it wasn't very good. But gradually, you know, you keep writing and you keep showing it to people and people keep helping you clarify the way you're approaching it. So I remember for the new rules, I had an editor who looked at my manuscript and said, well, you know, you have two books here, you know, which one do you want to write? And I had sort of two thrusts. One was to be all fancy and academic and talk all about the science. And the other one was what I'm telling you, trying to communicate these ideas to just people, you know. So that's what I decided to write. And so that's that's pretty much my story. I, I teach, I try to help other practitioners, other um, structural integration practitioners, but also Pilates teachers and yoga teachers and anyone interested in the body to uh, understand these ideas. And um, I've been lately teaching online classes. So um, it's been gratifying, you know, because, because people, um, people get it. I guess I'm able to put ideas in simple enough language that it works, you know, so... (laughs) That's the story, pretty much. I love it. Yeah, it's interesting for me as somebody who recently graduated 2020, um, the accessibility of it was a really big factor. I find that with a lot of texts like this, there could be kind of a little bit of like gatekeeping and a little bit of too much um, like lingo and rhetoric. And this was just so accessible to my level of education. Mm -hmm. Like, okay. I've heard about fascia. Here it is explained in a way that actually makes me understand it experientially as well. Good. Mm-hmm. So post uh, new rules, you know, you have this, your most recent work, which is the body mandala. Uh, it's just such a fascinating concept. How did that develop out of the work that you had done prior? Well, um, <clears throat> there was a human movement theorist who came through the Rolf Institute in the early 90s. His name was uh, Hubert Goddard. He was also a Rolfer, but he had been a dancer and he had studied movement extensively and he had a theory. 
So prior to that, in my opinion, what the Rolf community was teaching in terms of movement was bits and pieces of things that Ida Rolf herself had brought along and taught us all, you know, but it didn't have a coherent theory to it. So, um, uh, Hubert Godard's theory was presented to me one time in, in a workshop I was taking. I had heard about him. I'd seen him talk briefly, and then I just got myself to Philly, where he was. He had come. And the first thing he did was write his theory on the board like a map, like a simplification of, of, of the theory. And later on, I looked at it and realized, I mean, many years later, after you know working with it, for a long time, I realized it was a mandala. You know, that the goal of it was for embodied presence, uh, as I think one of your um, uh, persons that you were interviewing a few times back, a, a professor in Toronto, was talking about embodiment. Yeah. Okay, so that... John, yeah, John Ravaghi. Yeah, I couldn't remember the name, but... But that sense of being here in my body, which is lost so much in our uh, digital culture because everything is hurry up and do it yesterday, you know? So we're, we kind of forget that we're flesh and bones except for when we hurt, you know? So, yeah. so anyway, the goal is this kind of graceful, open, Kind of the, actually what I was describing before as Dr. Rolf's goal, you know, a human being that would be upright and open and receptive and helpful and interactive with others and, and so on, and not held back by poor habits of not only physical poor habits, but poor habits of behavior. You know? So that would be sort of the central presence in the mandala. Mandala, in case... Some of your uh, listeners don't know what that is. A mandala is a visual image that has been used in Hindu and Buddhist cultures and others too um, to focus the mind in meditation. And so, a visual image, usually a circle um, within which is a kind of a labyrinthine uh, pathway towards the center. And around the circle is a square with four sort of gates in the four directions. So you can enter the circle from any direction and find your way into the center. And that's what um, Hubert's theory looks like, you know, because there's this central um, presence that we're, we're aiming for and four different ways of accessing it. So one of the ways, of course, is just your posture, your, your habitual posture that has solidified into structure, really. You know, you've become a certain um, uh, collection of muscle and bone and tension that sort of is habituated into that shape. And that shape is restricted in its movement. So movement is another gate. How do we move? How, does, how do we coordinate? So if you could change a person's movement, that would change their structure, and that would help change their presence, right? A mm. uh, third gate would be how we take in information. So our impression of the world through our eyes and ears and skin touch and um, everything that is sensory and how do we respond to that in the body how, what do we feel so what we feel affects how we move and affects how we arrange ourselves in terms of uprightness and the fourth gate is how we express ourselves which includes communication and psychology and all the things that have to do with body mind so um you know, how do I dance? How do I play golf? How do I, how do I lift a wheelbarrow? You know, how do I talk to you? All those things have to do with 
my organization through this mandala and how I'm present in this particular situation right this minute, actually. So um, one of the, just as an example, one of the sensations that I'm aware of in my mandala is a tendency to pull up from the ground when I get excited or um, nervous, you know, talking <laughs> on camera. So I can feel my legs and my feet kind of hover. I mean, I'm still touching the floor, but if I'm mindful, I can drop my weight down into the floor and slow down a little bit. And, you know, it's, it's more comfortable. So are there kind of universal tendencies within this? Like the description that you just gave of your body, is that going to change for every single body? Or are there some general trends that you've noticed as a practitioner that um, carry over? Yes, all of the above. But the, the, the general trends are not just noticed by me, but were introduced by Hubert Goddard as part of the theory. So one is, a uh, basic idea is that our sensations contribute to our perceptions. Sensation is just the raw data, and perception is our sort of interpretation of that data. So we have perceptions that orient us to this moment, and the two basic perceptions are being uh, supported by the ground, being willing to let our weight be supported by gravity, basically, so that ground, we know it's familiar to talk about grounding, basically, that's what we're talking about, being grounded. And the other, being grounded is also, sorry, being supported. The concept of support is really important because we have to allow ourselves to be grounded. And that's not always easy, you know, especially if we've acquired habits that invite us to not be grounded for some reason or another. So, for example, trauma tends to deground us. So, habitually, a person who has had some kind of horrific experience tends to be alert, you know, tends to be in the sympathetic nervous system, tends to be ready to, you know, is, is vigilant. So, it's hard to be grounded when you're in that state. So learning to, learning to be comfortable with the sensations of being grounded, learning to be comfortable with how you experience the weight of your body, it takes more than a minute, you know, can take, it can take a while. Um, I've been working on it for a couple of decades, you know. <laughs> so... The perception of the ground, that's one orienting perception. The other one is being oriented to the space around us. And the space isn't empty. You know, your space behind you includes the Buddhist flags, includes a curtain, includes some furniture. And then there's the space to the sides and, and all around us that include objects and people and things going on, events, whatever it is, you know, happenings. So that how we orient to the space around us is can also be supportive or not supportive. You know? So these two orienting perceptions need to be in balance. Some of us tend to be more oriented to the space. Some of us tend to tend to be more oriented to the ground. And that changes the way we move. It changes the way we express ourselves. <laughs> it changes what we take in. It changes our structure. And it changes how, we, how we're present in the moment. So working for a balance of those two, the right balance in any particular situation, will give us resilience, which is... A good thing to aim for, I think. Yeah. Yeah. 
Could you explain uh, resilience a little bit? I, I feel like it's one of those words that everyone comes with their own kind of ideas about it, but within the somatic framework, what what does resilience kind of allow us to do? For me, it's it's like it's like adaptable, being adaptable, being able to respond in um in an appropriate way to whatever is happening. I mean. To be resilient is to bounce back, right? That's a, that's the kind of physical image to me is a something that um, has a stretch stretchy quality. You know, it can change. Yeah, yeah. It almost the the word that just kind of flashed up for me was spontaneous. I think know, that's in, in there. Just being able to spun. Mm-hmm. So that that includes time. You know, spontaneity includes timing, I think. Mm. Yeah. So going back to like the fact that there's these four gates and they each kind of interact with each other, um, could you start at any one of those gates? Uh, do, do people have a natural proclivity toward one and then that is kind of like their entry into this work or does it kind of unfold in a linear fashion that you've recognized? Um, no, I don't think it's linear at all. And for me personally, I jump around. I think the sensory gate is my, is my go-to. What am I feeling? You know? Um, but also increasingly, I, I have come down with Parkinson's disease. (laughs) So the tendency for us parkies is to compress in the front, the front line of the body tends to compress. So Increasingly, I notice my posture. I notice my structure kind of caving in in the middle. So that's, an, but on the other hand, perceiving that is also a sensory. I'm accessing my awareness of my posture through a sensory gate. And then I can tinker with how am I standing, you know, and how am I moving? So, you know, it's like one leads to another for me. If I'm working with someone, um, I think what I try and do is sense where where they can most easily enter. You know, so I, I remember for one uh, young man that I was working with, um, he had difficulty moving his hips. You know, he was very stiff in the pelvis. And so I suggested he go and take some salsa lessons. You know, so that would be to move through the expressive gate as a way of changing his movement, which would also change his structure and change who he would be as he walked into the room. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I love any treatment plan that has salsa involved. <laughs> right. That's, yeah, your homework wonderful. is go to a, some salsa classes. It will really change your life. But it will. You know that. Yeah. <laughs> we all know yeah. that. Yeah, that's something I try to work with my clients on in the conversation on chronic pain. You know, the way that I explain it to them in a really rudimentary way is that your nervous system just gets so used to feeling one thing, which is that pain in introducing any sensory input that's different, you're expanding its capacity to imagine something else other than the pain. So that's something that I've, you know, like that's where I think yoga is really great or Tai Chi. It's a new sensory input and that alone will reorient you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy how cut off we are culturally from bodily sensations. You know, pain is the, you know, people come in to work with me and, you know, tell me their history and what, why they're with, why, why they've come, you know, and, and it's always about pain and pain, you know, and then I ask, I might ask them to walk around and tell me what they, how they feel their footsteps, for example, you know, so it's like, that's a mystery. You know, the idea that you could notice that you put more weight on one foot than the other that that's a sensation that could be of value to you. You know, that's news to most people, but it would be of value, right? If you're always leaning to one side, you know, maybe because of the pain, but maybe not. You know, maybe there's something 
in the body as a whole that if opened up might even the pain might go away because maybe that habit is is contributing to it we don't know but um yeah i guess what i'm trying to say is that i think body awareness is underrated it's really practical <laughs> that's my view it's like the more um aware of what's going on in your body you can be the better and lots of times also it gives us guidance it tells us you know do this or hey that's not a good idea some impulse that you feel in your body says wait you know or hey that's a good one go for it right yeah that was something I actually had planned for later in the conversation, but it, it's kind of coming up organically is this idea of interoception and intuition. The more deeply we feel into our bodily sensations, uh, what I've at least recognized through meditation and through receiving a lot of body work and working with your book is that I am able to hear my intuitive sense just a lot stronger. So I'm wondering uh, in your lens, having developed this work, I've been with it for so long. What is intuition and how do we oh maybe gosh. cultivate a stronger relationship? <laughs> oh is, that is that too big? <laughs> no, it's just funny because I just participated in a webinar that was all about that. I don't know. There's, there's oh, awesome. people have heard of, um, a, it's a structural integration school that is, um, uh, associated with Ida Rolf, but what the, was, developed by a man named Joseph Heller. So it's called Heller Work. And this community invited various practitioners in the structural integration wider um, world to participate in a monthly webinar about intuition you know, and how we use intuition in our work. <laughs> so um, what you're implying is exactly what I tried to do is I pretty much offered a movement meditation uh, hour or two. You know, I used music, I used chanting, I used internal um, awareness of the weight of the body and the space around the body and all the things that I teach all the time. But at the beginning of the class, I asked people to just get quiet and let their body be a kind of pendulum. You know, you probably used a pendulum or a tea bag to kind of get a yes or no answer sometimes. So your body can do that, right? So I asked them to just relax a moment and just ask themselves, um, in a situation where I don't know what to do, how do I experience a yes feeling or a positive feeling? You know, is there some tickle or itch or movement or something in my body that says yes, right? Or, and then relax again and feel the same for a negative response. So then we did all these things that had to do with movement and be, being, dropping into the body more deeply, feeling more deeply, and at the end, I, I invited them to do the same little, you know, yes and no. And what was so interesting and wonderful to me about this class was at the end, when they had the opportunity to talk about it and ask questions and, you know, all that, hardly anybody had any questions because they were so quiet inside. <laughs> yeah, and so... You know, I think one person mentioned her response had changed and deepened a little bit. And I didn't care, you know. It was a class, so I felt like I had to give a before and after, right? But really what I was trying to do was say, your body knows. Just go in there and explore. And I think that's been the source of any any, any intuition that I might have developed is that I have, having been a dancer, always participated in types of meditation that had to do with the body and with moving the body. 
rather than with sitting. Although obviously sitting is important and is a different, but it's a different road, you know. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it leads me to think, I mean, it's something you mentioned a little bit earlier that we're so disconnected from the body sense. And I don't know what it is within our culture that really prioritizes the um, mental intellectualization when we totally bypass the fact that the body has its own innate wisdoms and is always communicating like what's right for us, what's wrong for us. But I feel mm-hmm. like we as a culture have just totally lost the ability to communicate with it. So that's why I think, I mean, as a massage therapist, like this kind of work and you know what you're doing with your books and your practice is, it is one of the key components of moving forward in a pro-human, like save the world kind of way, like this is an essential part of the equation is remembering uh, the body as nature, as connected to wisdom. Really, you know, um, if our hominid ancestors had no spatial orientation, you know, if they weren't aware of what was going on around them, they wouldn't have eaten breakfast. They would have been breakfast, right? Yeah. yeah. So we have that same capacity to be, to be, you know, bigger than our bigger than our narrow, little focused intention for today and tomorrow. You know, and I, I think the the digital living, the digital culture that we're in, has not helped us. You know, because it has allowed us to move so little, you know, we, be, we become less and less able to move the less we move. And the less we move, the less we feel, right? Which is why I think a lot of times uh, people are drawn to extreme sports, you know, extreme mountain climbing and things like that, because the physical body just needs that, needs to be expressive and some people just can't stand to be in the cubicle you know that we all live in yeah 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 it almost feels like to me when this idea of just living our lives through a digital lens and always being on our devices i don't know if this is possible but it seems like it closes those gates on the mandala and that when you're in public you're not really expressing to other people you're not connected to your senses uh, you're, you're just disconnecting from the entire apparatus, it feels like, and living in some weird virtual reality. Yeah, I, I don't know if you'd like, but I could, I could offer an experience of that to, to everyone. Yeah. And, and you. I would love that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So um, the first thing would be, and I, I guess you, you kind of, uh, plugged into your computer, so you can't really stand up and do this, right? So, who's ever watching this, you'll just have to um, hear the instructions and try to do it, because Brett and I can't get up and show you. <laughs> <laughs> so, just stand up. This is going to sound a little strange, but just stand up and be comfortable. Don't have to have good posture. <laughs> and then Imagine taking a shower. So let's start with an arm. And you're just going to scrub and rub this arm to sort of activate the skin surface on that whole side. You know, just really know, oh, okay, that's that's that. And this is my front of my chest and my belly and around to my pelvis and maybe now the other arm. You could think it's like an air shower. I, I read somewhere that that's what um, Benjamin Franklin used to take air baths. <laughs> anyway, we're taking an air shower. And then because you're standing up, you can reach down and uh, activate your, your thighs and your knees and the backs of your knees and all the way down to your ankles, your heels, your feet. You could, you know, I'm sitting so I could pick up and find my my lower legs. 
And the back of you is kind of hard to get if you're by yourself, but you could imagine yourself kind of like a bear just coming out of hibernation, you know, scratching his back against a tree. (laughs) So the idea here is waking up your skin, just letting your skin be very alive like it has antenna all over, everywhere. And then you could close your eyes and just let those antenna feel out into the space in front of you. As far out as beyond the wall of your room, if you can. See how far you can extend your awareness, maybe to your neighbor's house. And then extend your awareness out to the right side through, in my case, the window, through the window out into the street. And extending your awareness out to the left side. Now, part of this is imagining that your skin can feel beyond your skin boundary. But also, you're using visual memory and auditory memory because you know where those places are. And then, very important is the space behind you. You remember what's back there, so let your skin touch it. Let your skin expand its energy out through the wall behind you. And then just standing there, let yourself sustain that awareness of yourself, your your own body, the weight of your body, the substance of your body, but also this sense of spatial presence to you. And notice your breathing as you're standing there, whether your breathing feels comfortable, whether it feels different from before, how your eyes feel. Are they soft or are they hard little marbles? Sense your ears. And sense your uprightness, your tallness, your stature. How big are you? Now, from there, we're going to destroy all that temporarily, Um, I'd like you to, in your imagination or for real, pick up your cell phone and imagine you're awaiting an urgent message and you go down and look at your cell phone and you scroll through it, you know, looking for this message. Some, you know, it's a really urgent situation that you have to deal with. And just just feel what happens when you really go into focusing on your device and focusing on the future, which is what you're doing, because it's urgent. And keep that, keep that state of being. And notice the feeling of your breath. Notice the texture of your body and the size and shape of your body. Notice the quality of your eyes, the way they feel. And notice your spatial awareness. What happens to it when you do this?
okay. So I just keep it for another moment like that. And I assume there's a difference between one and the other. So let's see if you can keep that phone and a sense of an urgent message, but at the same time, allow yourself to be aware of the space behind your body. And the space to the sides of your body. Just doesn't have to be expanded out as far as before, but just let it let it open up a little bit. So you have awareness of your surroundings, of the periphery, as well as this intense focus at the same time. See if you can balance that. Okay, so, and relax, and, you know, it's... (laughs) It's nice. Uh, we don't have a chat, and we don't we don't have any way of checking with anybody. But I assume something happened, right? <laughs> Maybe for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I have to come back to hosting a show. <laughs> I was just kind of <laughs> in it with everybody. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it's it's a really fascinating thing, and I've done that practice or something similar because uh, I believe that is found within your book. And uh, I had kind of the same experience of when I personally, I got onto the phone and tried to emulate that, it felt like everything narrows. Mm-hmm. And I I really, I feel like a tension. I feel a sense of like closing off and like a tightness in the chest. But then even after that, when you know, kind of reopening back up, it was still kind of hard to have mm-hmm. both of those yeah. realities. Yeah, but that's the work of the mandala, is to look for those, for that balance. That's what I call perceptual tensegrity. Um, tensegrity is, uh, well, this is a tensegrity structure, right? You've seen these things, Oh, right? Yeah. It's like yeah. a little children's toy. The idea is there's, these um, struts that are held in place by uh, strings, you know, so it's like that. And so if I, if I change the shape of the strings, it changes the shape of the object. Not very well, because this is a toy and it's supposed to be indestructible. But, you, you know, hopefully <laughs> you get a little bit of an idea. The idea of tensegrity is there's this integration between compression and and extension um, the stretch so there's a compression area and the stretching and our bodies have that same capacity and so does fascia the connective tissue that interweaves throughout everything in our body turns out fascia is tensegral you know they've put um a scientist named Guimberto has put um, endoscopic cameras inside living tissue. You might have seen this. You can you can uh, go on YouTube and see uh, images, video images of Guimberto's work. But inside are these looks like crystalline strands going every which way. It's magnified, you know, 30, 40 times. But you see this almost like a cathedral inside the tissues and it's just incredible so that microscopic level of tensegrity organization buckminster fuller thought that the same organization held hold the universe together so in the case of the universe the tensional fabric is gravity and the the um, planets are the compression Members. So the planets wow. are being held in space as they move around by this force of gravity. So you have this, you know, cosmic organization that's maybe tensegral, as well as the beyond microscopic. And then in human movement, we experienced it. 
you know, when you have that sense of the weight of the body and spatial organization, that is also tensegral. It's a, it's two directions of your perception organizing you. So your perceptions are the fabric, are the stretchy part, and you and your little body mind is the compression, <laughs> right? Wow. Yes, pretty cool. So yeah, uh, there's a lot to unpack there, which I, you know. <laughs> um, so anyway, in the course of writing the book, I came up with that. I mean, it was just there to be seen, you know, that when you have these two directions going on within the body or outside the body, there's a balance that gets created that is efficient and light, you know, and effort effortless. And that's that central presence that I'm talking about. It's like when we can when we can cultivate that over and over through yoga practice or through Tai Chi, as you suggested, or through meditation. And then can we fold the laundry and be aware of that? You know, can you have an argument with your boyfriend and still have your backspace rather than, you know, yeah. getting way upset? So it, it's, it's really quite, quite practical, um, but it takes a lifetime of meditating on it. And yeah, I think it's revolutionary to be part of a somatic community that says, hey, you know, let's not, let's not leave our bodies and live in these little devices, you know, because that's what's, that's what's happening. And, and I think the more that humans do that, the more we get into, um, I call it sagittal plane living, <laughs> you know, because um, mm -hmm. at least... You know, you've been in massage school. You understand the sagittal plane is like Sagittarius, the archer. And the coronal plane is this way. Transverse plane is around this way. So sagittal plane living is what we're all doing. You know, and there's no, there's no periphery, right? It's all just like that. And so the more we do that, the more we're sympathetically activated. Because when we focus tightly on things, then our our bodies, our nervous systems go into fight or flight mode, you know, and that's what happens every time you go on the phone in a hurry, because it's always in a hurry because you're always doing something else and then you pick up the phone because it's ringing, you know, so people are constantly on this um, way of being in their bodies that is the opposite of what you and I are hoping to help them you know, feel and come home to, you know. Yeah. And I think the more that humans live that way, the less likely it is that we will live very long on the planet. You know, I think we're destroying ourselves with that, with that, um, con with that lack of consciousness. Yeah. You know, it, it just kind of panged to me this idea of sagittal living, which I, I love that way of organizing it. It's it's very goal driven. It's That's very right. much me getting to destination, it's me. which it's about is usually me. Mm -hmm. yes. And I feel like that orientation, it, you perceive things more as obstacles that need to be overcome, and those obstacles might be other people or other situations that you need to kind of exert your will over. But having a more peripheral experience, like that's where interdependence comes from because we're walking side by side with other beings mm -hmm. and we are actually all together. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're together, you have people on either side or behind you. So it's like widening the scope of our awareness to be able to remember that we are interconnected rather than we have to get to this other side. We have to get to salvation. We have to get to happiness mm -hmm. over there. And, mm -hmm. you know, perceptually mm -hmm. speaking, it does feel like being on the phone really emphasizes that kind of narrowing and that focusing and that tightening. Mm -hmm. That's, that's yeah, fascinating. I, I, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, when when we have that sp- more spacious support, um, it is more communal, potentially more communal, and that there are other people within our space, you know. Mm-hmm. But you see, that's that's also part of the work is to allow that to be comfortable. <laughs> I'm currently working on allowing a um, an unneutered feral male cat to live in my neighborhood. Yeah, wow. <laughs> trying to allow him to be there. Yeah, ongoing. Yeah, it's <laughs> ongoing, but it's it's better than it was two weeks ago. I mean, two weeks mm. ago, I was you know wanted to get a gun because <laughs> I have two yeah. cats and he's. <laughs> He's been sending them to okay. the vet, you see, so. Oh, no. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Learning how to navigate that without violence, yeah. Yeah, you know, this idea of connecting to a spatial quality of our awareness, my idea, my understanding right now is that for the perceptual tensegrity model, just having more of a sense of space allows a lot more ease within it is kind of how I'm hearing you. Yeah, because when you have more awareness outside your body. There's more space inside your body. Right? I think if you think back to before you picked up the phone, I hope people had the experience that they were bigger. They were physic- they felt physically the, the, the wholeness of themselves. And, and when you compress yourself into the sagittal plane, you're smaller and more compact. So that means that literally the joint surfaces are close together, the, the muscles are close together. You can't contract the muscles as efficiently because they don't lengthen. You know, so coordination is is not as free. So literally you you have changed the way you stand and move by changing how you perceive the world. Yeah. Yeah. One of the the first things that I really um, got me really turned on to the power of your work was, I think it might've been a Ted talk. You were giving a lecture. It might've been at Google. It was a Google uh, talk. It, I didn't do a Ted talk. That's yeah. the one then. Um, but it was, it, it was this, this exploration of exploring kind of the space behind you. And it was kind of what we just did, but kind of expanding your awareness beyond your skin I had such an immediate uh, kind of hit from that. And that's just such an interesting concept that awareness can move beyond the skin. You know, that there's the idea of the peripersonal space that we actually exist outside of our bodies to mm-hmm. a degree. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, know, I just wanted to throw that out there that I just think that that is such a novel thing that most people go their entire lives without ever experiencing and it was just so immediately available yeah but we do experience it you know if you if you i mean the peripersonal space um we it, it extends out pretty much to the ends of your fingertips in all directions right? and it's coded in your brain there are little brain cells that that record that. So literally your body extends out in that far. I mean, there, there are little cells for this space right here, <laughs> right in there. That's so wild. And that, that spaciousness is flexible. I mean, this is a slightly different topic than what I had you do, which is expand your spatial awareness far, far out. But the peripersonal space is literally you. And it, it, like your body is flexible, so if you use a tool like a tennis racket, your um, your spatial awareness, your peripersonal space expands even bigger to include the tip of the racket. Otherwise, you wouldn't hit the ball, right? Wow. If you're parking your car, your your peripersonal space includes the rear bumper at that moment. It expands, it's plastic. 
Otherwise, well, sometimes you do crash into the car behind you, but, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but that's, it's like everyone has had that experience, right, of playing tennis or golf or hitting something with a hammer or parking their car. These are, or if there's something really tiny that you have to do, like if you're a brain surgeon or you're sewing, (laughs) you know, you get down to try and see what you're doing. So um, we've all had that experience. We just don't know that we've had it. So, and we don't know what else we could do with it. Right. So that's, that's what I'm trying to do is by popularizing little bits and pieces of uh, the, the science that backs up the sort of, um, almost imaginative work that I'm doing, right? So like I'm, I'm helping you imagine the space behind you. But there's science that says, hey, you know, there's a rear bumper. You know that. <laughs> so. Yeah, it really lends itself to the notion of intimacy, to like having uh, another human body within your space, like how truly intimate even just standing next to somebody is and how you were both changed just by existing in the same localized space that's um the the implications for that could probably be its whole other conversation that's beautiful though brett thanks for that yeah we are at time um so i just wanted to say once again thank you so much for your time this was one of those episodes for me that I wanted to do when I started the show. So there's kind of a full circle mandala thing there. Um, so for people who are into everything that we just talked about, where can they find you? How can they continue this work? Um, yeah. How can they deepen their uh, understanding see. of this? My website is um, healyourposture.com. Well, I mean, I, I'm about body awareness, but nobody go, Googles body awareness, right? They Google posture. So <laughs> Heal Your Posture is my website. Um, I think my YouTube channel is also Heal Your Posture and uh, Facebook also. And Instagram is Your Body Mandala, which was the original title of Body Mandala. The Body Mandala book is got a second edition coming out in November um, by um, Inner Traditions International Publishers. Um, you can find out about it on their website or any place that you buy books. There's uh, pre-orders for it, Body Mandala. And I'm, if you go to healyourposture.com, you'll see that I work with people. I teach online classes and I coach people at great distances, but um, it's somehow successful anyway. You know, I've had clients in Slovenia and Poland and, you know, I live in LA. So it's fun. It's really fun. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, Mary, thank you so much again from the bottom of my heart for coming on the show and sharing your wisdom with us. This was really a treat. Thank you. It's always very fun. And, And you're such a pleasure to speak with. So thank you. Thank you. Awesome. We'll see you next time. All right, that was the episode. Thank you so much for listening all the way through until the end. I really do make this show for you in particular. That was Mary Bond. Uh, Hopefully you felt as inspired as I have felt from tuning into her work for the past couple of years. If you want to continue checking her out, head on over to healyourposture.com or uh, look her up on YouTube. She's got a lot of really great content out there that can be just as immediate and direct as what you experienced here. If you want to support this show, head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a review. You can subscribe on YouTube, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, or most uh, impactfully, you can uh, subscribe over at Patreon, patreon.com slash 21st Century Vitalism. Any little bit helps. Uh, The show takes 
quite a bit of time. It's a labor of love, but I would like it to be a labor of uh, labor and get compensated. So that's also great. No pressure. Hope everything is going well with y'all and we'll see you in a couple more weeks.